You are listening to a weekend message from New Life Church in Fort Smith. We would love to connect with you, so find us on Instagram or Facebook at NLC Fort Smith. Enjoy the message. The title of the message today is A Greatness Only Grace Produces. A Greatness That Only Grace Produces. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 23. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. It says, and then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, which I think is so interesting. Uh, Once we get to verse 13, Jesus begins to directly confront the Pharisees. But before that, he starts to give commentary to the crowd and the disciples who are listening regarding the Pharisees. It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. Greatness is something that uh, is very prevalent in our society today. Like, you could go to any bookstore, and there's going to be plenty of titles that talk about how to kind of achieve your own personal greatness. Like, how to make the best out of your life, how to become the greatest. You'll, you'll see books that teach people how to do it to companies to do it. Uh, Jim Collins wrote a famous book, Good to Great, right? He had, he's teaching companies how to be great. We also have these debates around greatness in different areas, right? Like you see this on Facebook, it's all the time, social media, we want to great. We've even, we've even have the, the, the new term that we've coined called what? The GOAT, right? The goat, the greatest of all time. And some people have these debates and they're right and some people are wrong, right? And there's one that's very clear that we decided to throw up just for you, right? We have these debates about greatness and who's the best. And our society at large honestly functions under this principle. It's the American dream, right? It's like, if you can do a lot of things, like you work hard and you accomplish a lot of things, then you can make something of yourself. You can become something, Think about people who have a lot of fame and notoriety in our society. It's because they've stacked up a lot of achievements in their life, a lot of advancements, and they're now noteworthy. They have a lot of value and worth in our society. Think about Steve Jobs. He, he had all these technological advances that made him uh, great in our society. You think about John Maxwell, who's like the king of leadership. He's got this whole library full of books that he's written on leadership, and he is like a leadership expert in our world today. Uh, I think about Joey Chestnut, who is the hot dog eating king. If y'all don't know who Joey Chestnut is, he can eat 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes. It's the most disgusting thing you've ever seen. Don't go look it up, okay? But what has he done? He's won a lot of eating competitions, and if you watch like the 7th ESPN channel, you'll find him on there eating hot dogs, right? He's got fame and notoriety because of a lot of achievements that he's stacked up in life. Uh, I remember a time when I was on the unfortunate other side of this. Uh, my first call, uh, interview after college, I was trying to get a job, um, excuse me, a job at a, a firm, and, and uh, I was studying accounting, and had a pretty decent GPA, and I had a, uh, some, some accolades, and I had some things, uh, organizations I was involved in when I was in school, and I sat down for this interview, and the lady asked me, uh, she looked over the resume, she said, hey, I noticed you're not in the accounting honor society, 
It's like, yeah, you know, uh, I had all these other things, you know, and I, I could have been, but I thought these things were important. And so, you know, I did those things. And she, she went on for 30 minutes to tell me why I was uh, n- not smart for not joining the honor society and why I wouldn't get the job because of it. She just sat there for 30 minutes and she never got off of this one topic. I didn't have the achievements and the accolades to be considered worthy or valuable in the sight of this lady. I think she lost her job pretty soon after. So I'm just saying, like, maybe she didn't have the best uh, interview practice, but uh, for us, stacking up achievements in life is what gives value and greatness. And there's something to be said about hard work. I'm not saying that these are wrong or evil things to do. The Bible's very clear about work ethic, that it's when we work, we're supposed to do it as we're working for the Lord. Uh, our, our hard work can provide testimony to those who are around us. And so there is a place for it. But in this passage, we see when work begins to replace our relationship with Jesus, that when our, our efforts and our deeds begin to not be the thing that comes from a relationship with him, but it's actually the relationship itself now. So today, what we're going to do is uh, I want to clarify what I mean by uh, what the Pharisees are doing. I would call it self-righteousness, but there's many different ways we can kind of coin it. Uh, we're going to look at some of the behavior the Pharisees had, and I think that can even creep into our relationship with God. And ultimately, we're going to look at why grace is true greatness in the kingdom of God. And uh, I'm going to be honest, uh, as I was preparing this, and I, I've been working on this one for, for quite some time, I, I just kind of picked it at the beginning and there's going to be a little weight to it, okay? There's going to be a little weightiness to it because there's some hard truths here. It's different than last week when Pastor Brandon's teaching on end times and there's like this kind of uncertainty and something coming to the end. It makes us feel uneasy, maybe a little anxious, and so there's some weight to it. This one, I think, is going to be weighty because it's going to be so practical to our lives. I think if you followed Jesus for any amount of time, you would have experienced this as well, but I'm thankful that When we come to the end of ourselves, that's when God begins to move. Like when I can get myself out of the way, God begins to do things inside of me. And so my hope today is that we can get out of the way and we can allow God to move on our lives. And so there's there's many different ways we could title. I told you I kind of title it self-righteousness or maybe legalism or or works-based religion. Some people would say it like this. They would say, I've said this a ton in my life. I want a relationship over religion. Okay, that's sometimes how it's phrased. And thinking through that phrase, I've talked with actually Philip McClure about this uh, a little bit, and he got me thinking about it. We need to define what we mean when we say religion because there's many different definitions that could fall under that. Because the Bible tells us that Christianity is religion and that there can be a good version of it. Okay, it says in James chapter 1, verse 27, it says religion that our good father, that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Then he would go on to say a version of love God and love people. What are you saying? There's a religion that's pleasing to God. And so to say relationship over religion, we have to be careful. What they mean by that is this. And why I use the word self-righteousness, because I think it's the easiest way to do it. It's that by my works and by my effort and by my good deeds, I can get love and favor and ultimately salvation from God. Like my right standing before God is based on what I can do and the effort that I can put out. That's what we see in the lives of the Pharisees and that we're going to look at how we can maybe steer to a better way that the Bible shows us. I do want to caution us, though, because it's easy to to see that and see the works of the Pharisees and say, I don't want to be so close to that works thing that I'm just going to stay over here and not do anything. 
And that's a whole nother ditch beside itself, right? I don't want to become, because the Bible will call that being lazy and apathetic. And ultimately it would be considered disobedience. And so I don't want to be so caught up in works that I miss Jesus. And I don't want to just sit here and not do anything. My, my prayer for us is this, is that we would realize that we would be saved by God's grace. And that through a relationship with him, he calls us to do work for the kingdom, to be fruitful for the kingdom of God and to his glory. That's where I want us to land today. Let's look at the first few verses here and look at two behaviors that we see in the Pharisees. Number one, it's that they know what to say, but they don't do it. They know what to say, but they don't do it. A lot of times we would call this hypocrisy. They were hypocritical, knew the right answers, didn't do it. It says this, Matthew chapter 23, verses three and four. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on another people's shoulder, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. I think it's so interesting the way this begins, because it says to do, you have to be careful to do everything they tell you. Like if it was me, like if I'm instructing the disciples in the crowd, knowing that the Pharisees were Jesus's biggest opponent, ultimately crucifying him, right? They hate him. I would have been like, look, stay as far away from these people as you possibly can. Don't listen to them. Don't do anything they do. You want to be the exact opposite of them. So just keep your distance and stay away. It's so interesting. He says, do everything they tell you to do. Why? Because they were so well acquainted with the word, with the first five books. They could memorize and quote to you any of the first five books of the Bible. It wasn't a knowledge issue. It wasn't that they didn't understand. It was that they didn't put it into practice. The application of it in their lives was missing. And I'll be honest with you. For me, this is one of the more hard things to think through and, and really where the enemy, I think, tends to poke in my life the most. Because we all mess up, we all sin, we all have weakness and struggles. I tend to be the perfectionist, I wanna get it all right, I want everybody to feel good. Add on the pressure of like being a pastor at a church and I feel like, hey, you gotta keep it all together. And then you make a mistake and the enemy comes in, he begins to whisper like, wow, you said this. Remember when you said that on Sunday? And then you blew it on Tuesday. Imagine if anybody found out about this. You're, you're phony. You're fake. You're not, you're not who you put up there to be, who you say that you're trying to be. Imagine if somebody got in, could find out about this. And the enemy begins just to whisper and begins to play that doubt in your head. And I want you to know this. If you ever deal with that, and I know that I do often, there's a vast difference between somebody who is practicing the wrong thing over and over again and somebody who messes up and comes before God with a repentant heart and says, God, can you help me do it right the next time? God, I need your forgiveness. God, I need you to be with me. I need your Holy Spirit. Next time this happens, I need you to empower me to be able to work through this. There's a big difference between that and somebody who's just doing the wrong thing even though they know they're doing it and they don't feel any remorse or sorrow for it. God's grace is there to come. He doesn't expect perfection from us. And he has grace if we're willing to bring it before him. The, the second behavior that we see in the, in the lives of the Pharisees is this. They practice faith to be seen by others. They practice faith to be seen by other people. 
we'd call this pride. So we had hypocrisy, number one, pride, number two. Verse five, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. In just this one verse, there's three different arenas in which the pride of the Pharisee rises up. And uh, so how many of you know what a phylactery is? Anybody? Uh, yeah, all right, we got a picture. We're gonna put a picture. This is a cool picture. <laughs> so this is a phylactery. It was a box that religious leaders would wear. They, they would take Deuteronomy 6, 8, literal, okay? It says this, tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them to your forehead. So they took that literally and they, they would have these little boxes on their hands with straps and then it would be the one on their head. And there's four passages of scripture on little scrolls that they would roll up and they would place in the phylactery. And it was supposed to be a reminder of God's word. They'd also have a prayer shawl and at each corner they would tie on tassels. And it was again, it was from, I believe, a passage in Numbers and it was also meant to represent God's word and be a reminder as they are going through daily life to remember his word and what God had commanded them. See, the Pharisees, because they were less concerned about their relationship with God and more concerned about the greatness among other people, they wanted to be seen. And so they would take these little boxes and they would make them bigger and bigger and bigger to, to make people think that they were great, that they were, had more value, or maybe they had some, uh, some sort of superiority above uh, all the other religious leaders. They'd make bigger boxes and longer tassels. Isn't it interesting that the very thing that was supposed to enhance their relationship was, with God was actually the thing that would turn around and replace it? that it got in the way. So they had pride, number one, in their ministry. This is the ministry, the religious leaders, that's what's supposed to be, they had pride in their ministry. They also had pride in their position, the places that they would go. In my house, I have a dining room table that has six chairs. Two of the chairs are padded, four of them are not. Oftentimes, my, half my kid, you know, dining room table is full of junk. Anybody? All right, yeah, you there, okay. <laughs> it's just covered with stuff. The number one biggest argument I get in my house is when we sit down for dinner is who gets the padded chair, right? It's like the place of honor at my house is the padded chair. We fight, I need a schedule app just to get who's in the padded chair when because it's just everybody fights every night we ever eat dinner there. It's always something about the padded chair. Even my nine-year-old, he starts like crying about the padded chair. It's the same thing the Pharisees would look for when they would go to banquets, when they would go to the synagogue. They would always want to sit in the padded chair because it was the place of notoriety. It was the, it was the place of fame or, or of importance. And so they would go to the seats that would make them look the best. They would take positions that would make them look good, even though we know God's word tells us to, to, to be servants, to take the low road. They wanted to be the most notoriety, the, the most noticed people at these events. So they would have pride in their ministry, pride in position, and ultimately pride in the titles that they carried. When they would want to be called rabbi, didn't have as much to do with them knowing God's word, but it made them feel good because they thought they were special and famous because of it and great. Here's the reality. I've experienced this myself is that especially as you follow Jesus, if you've been following him for any amount of time, it's very easy to slip into this pattern of behavior just like the Pharisees. You can come in here and you know all the right things to say. You know all the right things. You can raise your hands and worship right? You can lift it up and it, it looks, you, you, you see it. It's like, yeah, okay, they got it going on. You know, you come on Easter, 
He is risen indeed. You know the words, right? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know it. Y'all know it. If you've been around any time, you can say the right things and you can do the right things. You might have the title of a life group leader or serve group leader. You may run an outreach. You may have some position within the church and we can do all of these things and we can miss out on a relationship with Jesus in the process. And I never want us to be a church that prioritizes the work over the relationship. It's something that Brandon and I talk about all the time. Because just like I started the message, we want to give you next steps. We want to help you grow in your relationship with God. But, but one thing we talk about is, is like, we don't want them to fall in love with the work. Like, we don't want you just to do the task because you love it, just because the task. No, we want you to do the task because you get Jesus in the process. Because you get to know him better. Because you get to love him more. That's what we want to see out of it. And if we're not careful, we can all end up just like the Pharisees. The title of the message, again, I told you, was, it's the greatness that only grace produces. And so I want to I walk you through now why grace produces greatness in the kingdom of God. Number one, we have to start at the foundation. We are saved by grace alone. We are saved by grace alone. See, Brandon has this unfair advantage that he doesn't use nearly as much as he should. If I was Brandon, I would sing amazing grace to you right now. Like, and heaven would come down and it would be amazing, right? Like we would just like, big, we would all start singing together and it'd be fantastic. He has this, if I sing, everybody walks out like, <laughs> and then you never come back because I don't have that kind of, but amazing grace would be fantastic. I am going to read you Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are saved by God's grace alone. And the second thing is this, is that grace makes me more like Jesus. Grace makes me more like Jesus. I know for me, for a long time, I was saying, yeah, the grace of God is for my salvation. And it absolutely is, as we just said. But the grace of God isn't just for my salvation, but it's also to, to help me day to day begin to look more and more like him. It's what empowers me to be able to live like Jesus. One of the verses that describe how Jesus lives and who he is is Mark 10, 45. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the grace of God, when it's active in my life, I no longer live life for myself. I begin to live, number one, for God, but then it leads me to live my life to help other people, to serve other people, to love other people. It's that grace that allows me not to, to be free from living my own, for my own self and try to put up all this pretense about who I am. I'm free to be who I really am, a child of God, and I can live my life out for him. And with that, it kind of brings us full circle to the end. Because at the end of our passage, it told us what greatness was. And it says, the greatest among you will be your servant. It says in verse 12, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's often referred, the church or the kingdom of God is often referred as the upside down kingdom. Because the greatest person is at the bottom. Jesus came to serve and to give his life and likewise, grace allows us to do the exact same thing. True greatness is found when we give our lives on behalf of other people, when we're 
If you want to be, you want, you want greatness, true greatness, the only greatness is in the kingdom of God and is found by giving our lives for other people. The greatest among you will be the servant.